here we are. Um, Christchurch Meadow. Christchurch Meadow in Oxford. I'm visiting my Freleg, Tom Humphreys. <laughs> Which I'd like to point out is a term I coined. Uh, yes, credit where colleague. credit is due. Uh, how did that come about? Um, well, you, when I, whenever I would say, hello, my friend, you would immediately make the distinction that I wasn't a friend, but a colleague who you were friendly with. So I came up with the term Freleg as a perfect mixture of the two. In my defense, this was we were working together, however we'd known each other for a grand total of maybe two days. Yes, and and you and you did say it with a twinkle in your eye, so it's not to hurt my fragile feelings. Very so. good. Uh, as you know, this podcast is called Are You What You Do? So what I should ask you first of all is uh, what do you do, Tom? So I am an opera singer. Uh, said that very grandly, didn't I? I didn't mean to. Uh, no, I'm a baritone, and well, I think we're sort of of a, of a similar age. You've got a few more grey hairs than I do, I think. But um, don't, don't look sad. I'm, um, yeah, no comment. <laughs> but do you make most of your money from singing? Would you say? I would say I make about half of it from solo singing work. Yes. And I make the other half. From, uh, I teach singing. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I have uh, two days of teaching, uh, one in Wellington College in Berkshire and one in Charterhouse in Surrey, and they're both very good schools. And that's regular money? That's in. regular money. So I, that's about 30, 30 weeks of the year, two days a week. And that's half of your earnings? That's literally half of my earnings. Huh, cushy. Yes, it's, it's quite well paid, actually. But it doesn't get in the way of your singing, or does it influence what kind of jobs you're, you're I... able to take on? I think it, it doesn't get in the way so long as I am able to fit it around. So, for example, I, did, I told you I was doing this um, Merry Opera Don Giovanni tour at the moment. And we had a month of rehearsals and I was doing the Don Giovanni role, so I had to be in practically every day. So fitting in four weeks of teaching during that time was an absolute nightmare. But I sort of, you know, I, I would teach on Saturdays sometimes and I sometimes have to give a double set of lessons in a week. But that it's must manageable. Be absolutely knackering. It though. is knackering. It is knackering. But it means that I can have a quality of life that I might not otherwise be able to. By quality of life you mean money coming in or yes, the feeling of security that comes with that because well I'm thir- I'm 31 now and there's a certain amount of time I think in someone's life that they can live this sort of studentesque existence of of being on, you know, 10 to 15 grand a year. Not in London, you can't. Not in London, yeah. But I get fed up and I feel a bit um, frustrated if I, if I can't, say, afford normal things. Or if I have to, you know, friends say, should we go out for dinner? And I say, I'm sorry, I just can't afford it because I earned 100 pounds last week or something like that, you know. This uh, all sounds hauntingly familiar. <laughs> So would you say that keeping those two um, permanent or regular jobs uh, take priority over singing work? Depends on the singing work, I guess. Would you travel abroad, for example? Yes. Well, I haven't tested this to to the limit, but I, I mean, I do happen to have two very understanding heads of department in both of these schools uh, who who are quite supportive and they enjoy having teachers who are active in, in the performance world. So I guess their logic is that, you know, if you are doing the thing you're teaching, you have greater expertise 
rather than if you're just teaching. So I'm, I'm quite lucky in that respect. And I have had times where I've had to say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry, I'm, I'm not going to be here much for a month. But if it, if it was three months abroad, I don't know. Um, if, it, if it really merited it, maybe I would, I would prioritize that. Going back to what your heads of department uh, say is nice about having a teacher who also does what they teach. Yes. Uh, have you found that with with singing teachers? Because I, for example, I much prefer singing teachers who really focus on teaching singing. I find that, and I've had wonderful teachers who have been performers at the t- same time. Yeah. But I feel like what they teach is very much performance based and not necessarily just good ground-up technique, whereas it, it, it took going to a couple of dedicated teachers who don't actually have a performing diary, yeah. although they might have in the past, Yes, but they focus much more on the building up from basics. I do think you need to have experienced it, otherwise it becomes theoretical. I've had a couple of teachers who haven't been great singers, and it just means that sometimes it is theoretical. I mean, I think it teaches really are its horses for courses. And I think through trial and error, I've learned that, you know, there's no one teacher that's going to teach you everything. So and you have to go to the person who's going to teach you what you need at the time. Yes, I think that's very true. But then with my jobs, we're talking about instilling some, some of the basics. Well, I mean, I teach teenagers from the age of 13 to 18 in these schools. So, you know, the voices are just settling and... You know, introducing them to repertoire and introducing them to technical basics. They, they quite like it if I say, oh, I've just been off doing a show or I had a concert the other night or something like that. Then they sort of say, oh, what was that like? Rather than that I'm just someone there who can sort of sing and that's what I do. I think they, they enjoy the fact that there is another element. Try and uh, cast your mind back to when you were living that studentesque life yes on. and uh, you had high hopes and dreams <laughs> where did you think you'd be aged 31 or maybe you are where you thought you'd be at this age no I'm not where I thought I'd be it's been quite interesting for for me because I I, I was a chorister and that meant that I got to basically get a music scholarship to a very good school when my voice broke and I realized I could sing they gave me lots of nice opportunities and I went to the Royal Academy at 18 with a scholarship and I just thought, not in a sort of arrogant way, but I just thought, you know, it would be hard work, but I'd get there in the end. I've always enjoyed hard work and I always would like to deserve something through hard work rather than just have it handed to me. But it's not, it's not just happened, certainly. And um, I feel that the, the performance opportunities I do get you know, I have had to kind of fight tooth and nail for. I would have hoped that I would be performing roles more often in opera for, for better companies by now, because, you know, everyone when they're 18 wants to be the next someone, you know, and then you sort of realize that, A, that's not possible. Not everyone can be the next Brinterfel or Forostowski or whoever, you know. And also, I think a lot of people come to the conclusion that actually, that life might not be that desirable. You, Why would you say that? Because the sacrifices on your personal life that, you know, singing at that level 
constantly touring around the world, you know, I mean, relationship success rate is not great. And I think that basically people want to be happy in life for the most part. And rather than successful. I think success comes into it, but I think we have a very, very much a sort of Western capitalist definition of success, which is become the best in your profession and make as much money as possible, and then you'll be happy. And I think a lot of people discover that's not the case. And uh, I, uh, someone told me the other day that Maria Callas was asked at the end of her career, you know, was she happy with her life decisions or something? And she said, well, actually, I, I feel very sad that I never had a family, but it just wasn't an option for me. But there was a sort of regret there. You know, Robert Merrill, talking about baritones, he always said, be a person first and an artist second. And he was one of the greatest singers ever. Singing music for the pleasure of singing music. And if you get paid to do it, isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, you need to earn money. That's the thing, to live. So yeah, if you can make unfortunate. it... unfortunate. Yes, I know. I never signed up to that, you know? No, no one ever gave me a choice. Do you sign up to this system where you have to make money? <laughs> well, there was a man, uh, I, there's a video on YouTube, and he won the Nobel Prize for this, who went to live as a goat. And he constructed a sort of goat exoskeleton for himself. And he was just filmed roaming with the goats and sort of living off grass and stuff like that. He genuinely won the Nobel Prize. I'll send you the video later. What Nobel Prize? <laughs> I don't Nobel know. Prize for what? Goat habitation. It's a okay, that's, that's an extreme that I probably, given the choice, I wouldn't sign up to either. <laughs> Um, but there's got to be something between like hardcore capitalism and goat life. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think there is. And I think a lot of people actually manage it. I, ju I just think very often you go into a, a music conservatoire and they give you this definition of success and act as though everyone can achieve it. And very quickly people end up, I mean, there's some there's statistics, something like 70% of musicians have anxiety and depression. You know, it's appalling, and it's because we have these, um, I think, not only unrealistic expectations of what the music world is like, because there is an enormous supply of enormous, musicians. Yeah, it's, I mean, at any conservatoire, I mean, I, when I was at the academy, there were about 100 singers there at any one time. Uh, and that's just one of, what, eight conservatoires in the UK? Something like that. And that's just the UK. Do you feel that conservatoires are, are selling that dream or that ideal of professional success? Because otherwise, how could they justify charging? You know, if, if I came up to you and said, look, if you pay me £15,000 per year for four years, then I guarantee that at the age of 31, you're going to do... A, two small opera productions a year and teach for two days a week. Would you, would you think that's a good investment? Uh, no, I wouldn't. And yet here you are. Yes, and yet here I am. I mean, Because they told you that you might be somewhere else. Well, maybe I told myself that. I mean, I do think there's culpability on the self as well. We follow our dreams and there's an element of risk in that. But I mean, I'd like to add that I did undergrad and back then it was only £3,000 a year, so, but for four years. So, I mean, I, I've, I haven't, I'm not quite so bad off as that. But yes, I know what you mean. It's still a lot of money. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy and love and passion you put into this thing. And, and... But you mentioned love and passion. Is it a choice? 
given the opportunity to go to conservatoire, and you know, I sort of stumbled into it. Uh, I was either going to study chemistry or mathematics, but I happened to be pretty good at singing, and I enjoyed singing lessons. And my singing teacher convinced me to, you know, take a punt, try yeah. try auditioning for the Academy of Music, and I got in. And at that point, something clicked in my head, and I said, "Well, I have to do this. Yes, yes. It might not be." The wisest choice, but there's just something that compels me. Interesting. Your father's a professor, isn't he? Yes. What did he say? Because you're obviously a very bright chap. Well, oddly enough, um, my my dad is quite into playing the odds, and I am the third child of four. Okay. And he already had two successful children <laughs> who were financially stable, and he said, "Well, maybe you know, you could be our lottery ticket yeah. and have a go at this." Uh, I've since since it's turned out that I am definitely not a winning lottery ticket. <laughs> I'm more like the recurring one that you pay for every week and see nothing back. Since then, I've had a conversation with my dad, and he said they weren't ever really worried about me because they could just sense that I'm the kind of person who always lands on their feet and always figures out something else to do. Very much. If there's nothing in front of me. I will create something, or I will I will find something that's you know slightly off to the side, but 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 might work. Do you know, if I had to do it all over again, uh, and I don't think I'm done, but I still I still have this sort of lunatical delusional optimism that tells me I'm I don't I no longer think I'm going to. I'm going to end up singing annually at the Met. No, I don't. But I do still have ambitions that I could sing a nice role at a, you know, a decent level theatre. That sounds sort of mean to some of the theatres I've sung in, I guess. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know... Um, no, but I'd say you are well on the ladder to, to achieving oh, that so, on a regular basis. It's not, you know, 31 is not old, for one thing. No, I mean, but I mean, so by that I meant I've done a couple of small roles at some of those type of houses, but, you know, smaller roles, and it was just, it was like a taste, and I loved it, because, you know, when you perform with an orchestra, there's something magical about that, and I've done, but I've done a lot of fringe theatre, which I've loved and I found very rewarding, but there's something about doing that in a small hall with a piano. It doesn't quite scratch the same itch. Exactly. And perhaps this, if I'm being brutally honest, which I think you should, it doesn't perhaps scratch the same ego itch as well. Because, you, because exactly as you've said, you've invested so much time and years. I mean, so I'll be 32 this year. That'll be 14 years I've officially been training and working at this. That's a huge investment of time and energy. So if you were to do it again? If I were to do it again, though, I would pro- my attitude is always like, I would do things slightly differently, but I would still go down the same route. Uh, I'm just going to latch on to that, because one of the things I wanted to ask you yeah. was, do you have any advice for people who maybe are 18 or are mid, midway through their conservatoire route or have just come out of conservatoire. What are the slight changes that you'd make to your path? Okay. Either to guarantee more success or like increase the chance of success, but more importantly, to make you happier along the way. I would say, firstly, unless you are ready to hit the ground running at 18, which I wasn't, I think I had a pleasant, light, high baritone voice. 
and it would have taken at least eight years in conservatoire before I could have even thought about trying to make it in any way as a soloist. So I went way too young. So unless you're kind of like a Bryn Terfel where he did the Cardiff when he was 24 or something like that, be honest with yourself and say, why not just go to university take the pressure off yourself. I do think undergraduate courses have to be gone into with eyes wide open, you know, um, knowing that if you do that, you are, yes, you're committing to this decision, but you also don't give yourself a backup option. And I think a backup option is very wise nowadays in this era in which work seems to be drying up with every passing year. I would also say, just tick every box you can. Nowadays, it's a lot about box ticking. I would say, go in, do the postgrad, do the opera course, try and do a sort of studio, because um, I did none of those. And I, you know, we've both worked for ETO at different times. I remember it would always be something, an audition where James Conway would, would ask me if I'd done an opera course. And I, at the time, I just didn't want to go back into conservatoire. But I could clearly see that he thought it was a good idea for me. And, and I didn't really listen to that at the time. The sort of arrogance of youth, I guess. But um, I just thought, no, no, I'll be fine. I'm, I'm doing chorus here, you know, and that will sort yeah. of lead something. And it was foolish, really. And then I would say, you know, connections are everything. So be, stay true to yourself. I think that's very important. If you don't stay true to yourself, you'll never be a great artist because, you know, you need to have a truly defined character. You need to know what you want to say through your art. And you need to... And you also need to know where your willingness to compromise has to stop in order to protect yourself Absolutely. from how brutal this business can be. Yes. But I would say, while being true to yourself, just get to know people in the business. Because no one's going to employ you if they don't know who you are. And no one's going to employ you if they've never heard you sing. Oddly enough, the one thing I will say in defense of conservatoires, for all my reservations that I have about them, uh, they are a wonderful place to meet people. And True. You know, once you're out and working, you're meeting other singers and stage managers, directors and conductors. Whereas at Conservatoire, you are much more likely to hang out with instrumentalists, composers, uh, people who do, you know, actors. You can immerse yourself in a general creative source uh, that isn't just one thing. I completely, completely identify with that. I'm so grateful I did undergraduate for this reason, that I met people of other disciplines. And I also was in halls in my first year. It was an intercollegiate University of London halls. Many of my close friends I've met then. So I have some of my best friends are surgeons. Uh, one works in the US diplomatic service in Thailand. You know, and it's nice because it broadens your mind and you need to have a broad mind. I think that's the only way you, you need to experience life because if you don't experience life, how can, you, how can you relate to what's going on in the music and then, you know, portray that for an audience? I once got an email from an opera company, uh, and I won't mention names, uh, but they told me to take down some fat pictures from my website. This Is that was, the, the word they used? Fat pictures? Well, I was told I'd lost not an inconsiderable amount of weight, and, uh, and there were some pictures on my website 
that didn't display me in a flattering light, so I should take them down. And then they went so far as to say, for example, we heard a few big girls yesterday, and I think I can quote this verbatim, because I just was so shocked. We heard several big girls yesterday, and no matter how well they sang, we'd never employ them. And I just found that... That makes, it makes you die inside. Yes. It really does, and I don't see why... why I, I do see that it's, you know, if, if, you know, the valiant hero is supposed to rush on stage dramatically and they're sort of so overweight, like sort of oh, come on, but, it, but this oh, is opera, it, this is opera rushing. Yeah. You know, he's probably still got 16 bars to do it. Yeah, yeah. And the stage is only so wide. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, ultimately, I think sometimes we're deprived of, of some of the truly wonderful voices because of this emphasis on... On, on looking like Hollywood, you know, Marvel action hero stars, you know, and it's... Um... Yeah, it's not a... For all the success that opera and cinemas is enjoying, it is not a cinematic genre. No. And, I mean, I feel that that aspect of the business is, is just... It showcases, A, a lack of imagination on, on the side of people who are, who are casting something. It's, it's like not getting cast because you don't look old enough. Have you heard of wigs and, and dying hair? But also, it, it's, it's a lack of faith in the art form, in yeah. the music being able to suspend the audience's disbelief. Yeah, I totally agree. To a level where, where actually... You know, maybe slightly odd body shapes for, for I don't know, Viking warriors or yeah. whatever you have. Uh, it doesn't matter how it looks. Because A, you can design things very cleverly. And B, it is about the music. It's not, it's not just a purely musical art form. No. But, but the music does help it's elevate thing. things. It's the first thing. It is a total art form. But music is the primary importance in it. I mean, and how heartbreaking is it that these days Montserrat Caballé would probably not have a career? No. Well, I, I mean, mean, Joan Sutherland famously said she was, this was like 20 years ago, that she was certain she'd never have a career these days. To deprive the world of those kind of voices, it's just wrong. It shouldn't be a factor, but I think it is. And um, I heard there was this story about one singer who felt so almost sad because they knew that if they didn't go to the gym their work would dry up you know and they admitted that to someone I think you know going back to this feeling of I think insecurity sometimes we all have probably just because of who we we are as singers in some ways I bet you there are lots of people who've had wonderful voices but they've said do you know what no I'd rather be a doctor you know, so, and it's not even occurred to them that they'd like to try to be an opera singer, but they just enjoy singing, and they could have gone on to to have that kind of career. But I do think it's it's partly a personality thing. It's, you did mention ego, yes, but probably born out of an insecurity. And I think, I mean, I think the first thing is always love of the music. But there is something about being on stage. Or saying, oh, I'm doing this concert, I'm doing this opera. That's why, you know, Instagrams f and Twitter are just full of people sort of saying, this is what I'm doing, and getting likes. And it's such a sort of endorphin rush, isn't it? Uh, getting likes. <laughs> getting likes, I know. It's so, it's, I find it so sad saying that. But I freely confess that if I've posted something on, on Twitter, I have to say, 
please no one go on my Twitter feed because I think there are quite a few comments I posted with no likes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, please, pity likes. I'd like some pity likes, whoever's listening. <laughs> uh, and I think how sad is that? I mean, that's a societal problem, I think, now that we put more stock in, in those sort of interactions sometimes than, you know, meeting up for a, for a, walk. a beer or a walk by Christchurch Meadow. Yeah. Would you say that we are singers, whether we're singing at the moment or not, whether we are successful in the opera business or in the you know, solo oratorio business or not, because we have that singer ego. It sounds very much like, is someone still an alcoholic if they don't drink for 30 years? <laughs> and I think there's probably some sort of comparison. I know some people who just can't give up. Should they give up? Yeah. Why should someone give up? Um, not give up singing as a, but give up pursuing it as a career, I think. Because if it becomes a constant... So I, I, I know someone who never enjoyed anything they did, like singing-wise. It was always difficult and hard work, but they just couldn't not do it. Sorry for the double negative. And I really think it's, it's like, as we were saying, it's like a drug. I do quite a lot of oratorio as well as opera, which I, I really enjoy. It's not, it's very different. It's very different standing up in a tail suit at the front of a choir in an orchestra and singing in a cathedral or a concert hall rather than... No lights or costume to hide behind, exactly. no character. Well, no. there is character, but But yeah, it's, it's, it's a very different experience. And in some ways it's not as quote-unquote fun. But the thing about that is very often concert work is paid much better than opera. It's a much easier and more lucrative way of earning your living. Like if you turn up, even a small choral society in Devon, or Cornwall might pay you £300 to turn up and sing for a requiem. That's... I, I chose Devon and Cornwall because they're very far away. You know, yeah, so um, that's a day of your life. Yes, it's a day Gone. of your life. And sometimes, you know... And I, you have to learn it or be really good at sight singing. Yes, exactly. But once you've learnt it, you know it, so that's well, fine. you generally get asked to do the same core of repertoire. I mean, they're always going to be Messiahs, there are always going to be four requiems or Mozart requiems or Elijah's or something like that. I find that there are never enough Carmina Buranas for me because <laughs> that's my only sort of recurring <laughs> oratorio uh, adventure. But uh, I wouldn't touch that with a barge pole, it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so, someone once asked me to do a Carmina Burana and I just said straight away, no, I can't, sorry, that's just the one with the 12 high G's or something. Yeah. I thought, nope, not going near it. And, uh, and then I later found out that it was in the Caribbean, in Martinique, for three grand. And I was oh. like, do you know what? <laughs> I would have cracked a few G's for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that because it's just one day, you obviously can fit in many more oratorio gigs than you can fit in operas throughout the year. You could probably do five operas at two months each, you know, and have two months on throughout the year. Yep. That's not a lot of moments of getting through an email saying, we'd like to offer you this. Whereas you could get 30 oratorio gigs throughout the year. And each one is like a little, ooh, I just got a job. Have Someone wants me. Yes. It's that sort of, 
moment of excitement, of validation, of knowing, ah, I can fill up this day and, you know, it'll be a week of what I'd be paid doing opera. It's very interesting uh, what you say about validation because I, I touched on this in a previous episode um, with Alex Fury Roberts where I said that as I do other things I'm less and less inclined to audition and the main reason for that is with my recording business people want me and people ask to work with me whereas yeah. every time I audition I feel like I'm begging someone for their approval, yeah. acceptance I find it mentally exhausting, yeah, auditioning, training. and it's why I stopped doing it, or I'm taking a break from doing it, because there are so many more rejections than there are... Acceptances. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I had a string of auditions in October last year, where I just started a few months previously with the new teacher I was talking about, and I felt, you know, he really helped me move forward, so I felt I was doing the best singing I'd ever done. Though that's for me, you know, that doesn't alter the the competition out there but I just felt in a good place in a confident place and I struck out in every single audition and some of them don't even reply to you don't even let you know you haven't got it but I wasn't checking my emails every hour I just I'd, I'd sort of come to a, a piece that said do you know what I you know I have many things in my life which I have to be grateful for like, I get to sing, firstly, that I have lots of lovely friends, family who, who love me, and, you know, I feel, I feel all those sort of things that are really, at the end of the day, so much more important. I mean, God, I sound like an um, American cheesy film, don't I? But I, I really do believe that. I do think that if you don't have those anchors in your life, you'll just be adrift. No matter how successful you are, I don't think opera's going to fill that void. No, not at all. It's just a nice job. That is what it is. And if you can earn a living from it, then fantastic. And well done you. But is it worth totally ruining the rest of your life or not? That's I don't think it, dramatic, anyone would think, oh, no. my life is ruined. But no, I know what. It's not necessarily worth certain trade-offs. That's what I mean. Sorry, I have a flair for the melodrama. <laughs> uh, I, I feel very strongly that humans need more than just this Western capitalist definition of success. And validation from society will never fulfill you like validation from someone you love or a friend you really trust or a friendly with whom you enjoy a coffee from time to time. Or from yourself. It's not about being big-headed, but, uh, yeah, but basically... You've yeah, you've got to be happy in yourself. Well, that's when you know it's, it's dangerous, when you start feeling self-loathing because you haven't achieved what you set out to achieve or you haven't got that validation and that sort of seal of approval from the opera community. If you look at what someone else is doing and what you don't have, just in life in general, you will always be unhappy. And there are other ways of making money and bridging the gap in your sort of income as a singer, which enable you to still sing and still enjoy it. And if you just focus on the fact that you get to sing and you get to interact with wonderful, effusive colleagues, because many singers are just so full of life and lovely, um, and it is a very exciting career. I think that... At every level. At every level, fact. yes. But you won't notice how exciting the level you're performing at is if 
your eye is yeah. is on the horizon and thinking, oh, I'm not there yet. I, yeah. I need to, I need to be doing better. Yeah, my grand 18-year-old ambitions are gone. Like I'm not fussed about becoming the next whoever or getting to the Met or something like that. I'm just, I'm really honestly not anymore. And I think that would actually not fit in with the life I want. But my eyes sort of can be too fixed on at least a, a level or two above what I'm doing. I do have to check myself sometimes and say, actually, I've got it pretty good, you know. There's so many people who found jobs where they can fit that around the singing, like these very clever ways of, uh, you know, having their cake and eating it too. And you may never become the next Pavarotti, but you might be happy and get to spend the rest of your working life singing the music you love. And that, that should be success. Desperately trying to protect ourselves from the wind. Yes, I think we're going to have to wait for, for whatever the, uh, the emergency is. I can hear sirens. Yes. I mean, I'm listening to this through headphones. No, I can hear them. Um, so this will be in the gag reel, will it? Yeah, probably, as long as it's funny. Do you have any ambulance jokes? Uh, I forget the jokes that I hear, and I think that's an amazing joke. I will save it for Jan Sapinski's gag reel. And I've got nothing when the, when the hour is upon me. It's really kicking off in Oxford. You get a lot of knife Buzz. crime here? Yeah. Oh. I'm packing. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm so into your point that I cut across it like a madman. I would happen to name just baritones. Uh, <laughs> it's all right, you are a baritone. Yes. Um, next Unless you really I... wanted to be the next Natrebko. No. Well, I have a fine falsetto. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Here we go again. 